1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Got a great show at Capital One Arena next month that we're going to be sending you to if you're listening and you're the lucky caller throughout the rest of the week. Right now, caller 10 800 636-1067. six one zero six seven. You're winning a pair of tickets to see the Impractical Jokers: The Drive, Drive, Drive Tour Sunday, February nineteenth, Capital One Arena. Plus, you'll be entered into a raffle for the grand prize: two meet and greet passes. Tickets are on sale now. For tickets and more event information, visit thefandc. dot Someone's gonna have a good time at Capital One Arena. I I'm very interested to see what they what they do as a stage show
3: because they're Shtick is like out in public, you know, where they're like pranking each other and forcing dudes to get into like terrible, ridiculous situations. Not like the one that we had when the three Capitals were in the room. (laughs) Ryan, poor Ryan, was left holding the bag, so to speak. But I can't imagine what they're doing on the the
2: stage, but it's pretty good. Speaking of the Caps, we'll kick off the Blitz. Now we got the Commanders and the Wizards, who won last night. All coming up on the Blitz, and Anthony Gill of the Wiz, with a career high in points, is going to join us to discuss that win. This segment on your Beltway Blitz. Let's get it started. John Walton, voice of the Caps. You can hear him on 106.7, the fan-calling games all season long. John, disappointing last night in Philadelphia. 5-3 loss with an empty netter in there. Caps battled back, but it seems like they just haven't quite had their footing since reinserting Backstrom and Wilson, trying to find their way still with some new alignments. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate, guys. I mean, it's tough to come back and catch a moving train when you're Tom Wilson and Nick Backstrom This is still training camp for these guys. They haven't, didn't get the benefit of a normal camp. They didn't get a benefit of preseason games. These kind of are their preseason games. That's on one side of it. And then on the other side, you've got Lars Eller moving to the wing. We saw Dylan Strom going to the wing. There's certainly been, I don't want to say chemistry, because these guys are beloved. It's not a matter of the chemistry and the way you're thinking, but the way that it lines up right now is everybody's kind of in a different seat than they have been during when this team was winning. So I think it's to be expected. I think it could go on for a little bit, just kind of getting acclimated to the new system and what they're going to put forward here. I don't think it's going to be anything long term, but it is a bit of an issue right now. I don't think there's any question.
3: Yeah, you touched on it, John. What do you think the timeline should be? Because this is this is something we're all willing to do, right? Of course you make a sacrifice. You probably don't do that for the 26th guy on the roster, but you do it for Nicholas Backstrom and, and, and Tom Wilson because how important they are and your ceiling gets higher. But when should we kind of say, alright, now is about time. We're, we're all up to speed and playing our good hockey again.
4: You know, I think, Danny, you look at a couple of weeks. I mean, think about what training camp would be, where you've got everybody likes to play, you know, three, four, five games, get up to speed, and that's under normal circumstances. So I don't know that there's an exact timeline you can put on it, but I think that's a good place to start. And then you've got, okay, how does Tom feel about the knee? You've got to get hit. You know, Nick Backstrom wants to, you know, get a little bit of contact along the boards. It's a bit of a mental thing with these guys, too, because. You know, they've, gone, they've both gone through these serious surgeries, and you want to make sure it's okay. And mentally, your brain needs to tell you that. I think they're still kind of going through that a little bit. I mean, that's only human nature. So I, I don't think it's going to take forever, but I think, you know, these games leading up to the All-Star break, you know, I'd like to see them, uh, you know, start to kind of turn the corner on that, and I believe that they will. Uh, and I think the more that they kind of get moving forward here, uh, you know, they've got two games and two nights next week. I think that's going to help a little bit of road travel i I, I think it's gonna to start to come to them here I don't think it's gonna to take too long
2: defensively not quite as buttoned up late last night I know one of the three they allowed in the third period that were the difference was empty netter but what'd you see from them on that end of the ice
4: yeah gotta tighten it up a little bit and I think you know going back over the course of these last three games it is not a trend but it is a mild concern where in the game against Nashville, they were tired. Nashville was tired. It was not. It was kind of a tractor pull of a game, to be honest with you. Columbus, you know, I thought defensively they were okay. I mean, obviously Darcy, Darcy Kemper was really good in that game. Uh, but again, in, you know, Philly worked hard. Philly outworked them last night, and, and you know, sometimes that happens where the Flyers are playing some of their best hockey, and they were good in all three zones. I talked to TJ Oshie about it. Talked to Garnet Hathaway about it after the game last night. And they both gave a lot of credit to the Flyers, which I thought was exactly right. You know, sometimes you're just facing a better team. Uh, and on that particular night, it was. Uh, but they're going to have to be ready for it because now the Flyers are coming into their building and they've got to show that they can compete for pucks a little bit better and, and be a little bit better in front of their goalie. I, don't, I think they left Darcy out to dry a little bit last night. Uh, But I think that they'll be better come Saturday when they have a chance to review the tape and you got the same opponent coming up. That usually helps.
3: John, quick one. I'm a little bit worried, big picture, about... Their, whoever their second best goal scorer is going to be. I think they need a little bit, you know, more prolific scoring from some guys. I know Oshie's been out of the lineup, but most of the teams that have a guy like Ovechkin that's sort of the lead goose, there's somebody that's like seven, eight, nine goals behind. They got a couple guys tied at eleven. To me, mojo scoring is a bonus. I, I, I need. I don't want to call it secondary scoring. I think I need more primary scoring.
4: I don't disagree with that, and I think you know a guy like Connor Sherry. Second on the team right now. Uh, no multi goal games this season. Marcus Johansson, believe it or not, is the team's game winning goal leader, which yeah. I don't know that you would have guessed right off the bat. It's not Alex Ovechkin, it's actually Marcus. So uh, I agree. I mean, I think that's where Anthony Mantha's got to get back in the lineup at some point. Uh, that's a guy you hope you get more from, and TJ Oshie being healthy, I think, would go a long way for both of that, I think.
2: John, we can't wait to hear you back on the call. 1067, the fan. 7 o'clock Saturday night against the Flyers. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to it. Let's keep the blitz going. You know him as Rick Snyder. We know him as Snyder Remarks. He joins us to discuss Washington's offseason, which is off to a fast start. What did you think of the firing of Scott Turner?
5: I think it was needed. I mean, it's kind of hard to blame a guy when you have how many quarterbacks in three years, no offensive line for two years. You know, I mean, the tight end position was a shambles when you thought it was going to be great. That said, I think he outsmarted himself way too often. He tried to be cute too often. The Curtis Samuel jet sweep didn't work after October. I mean, those kind of things were really frustrating to watch. I have seen much worse play callers in Washington. You know, bingo, things like that. But, but you know, it wasn't, so he wasn't the worst one I've ever seen. But if they can upgrade, which I doubt they can, uh, go ahead and try it. Rick, this feels like one
3: of Ron's buddies that's available, that's willing to do kind of a one-year thing until presumably if and when new ownership happens and everybody kind of gets blown out for a clean slate. I just can't imagine you get a great candidate here. Doesn't it feel like it's somebody that Ron already knows, you know, a la maybe like a Scott Turner type type character?
5: It, it almost has to be. I mean, who wants to take what could be a one-year job in, in trouble? The demented, you know, the delusional, you know, the desperate. The dreamers. I mean, nobody who has a big resume is going to do this because here's the here's the job interview. when you have he'll come in and go, who's my quarterback? Well, we got a rookie that had one start. Mm-hmm. And how's my line? No, nah, not very good in the middle. Tight ends? Can we dump off no. Oh Well, ownership's going to back you no matter what, right? Well, <laughs> so who's going to take that job? You know, you know, nobody with the A plus rating on them.
2: I think that's probably fair. I wonder.
5: You know, if they want someone really good,
2: you know, they they probably just want someone that sees it the way they see it. You know, a run heavy kind of approach. What do you make of the idea we had Logan Paulson on saying maybe Ron should go with someone who's just like minded, who wants to run the ball as much as possible?
5: Well, it's one of their strengths. I mean, you don't know what the what how or whoever else will do next year, but you do do know it's a running game can do and it you know controls the clock i mean they did well this year they averaged 33 minutes a game of possession so they did some of these things really well it's just they couldn't pull the trigger on what they really needed to do at times uh if you get somebody who's too high profile candidate do you wonder if you're hiring your successor there's another thing coaches worry about you know but you got a new owner coming in too and who knows what he thinks or you know so you know, it, it's really all the balls up in the air again. What are you hearing on that ownership
3: front? I remember the offers were due and there's been no word about anything at, at, at this point. I'm terrified that, you know, Dan Snyder's still a Bond villain and will just sort of uh, back out of this thing and ruin everything. But what do you think?
5: Well, now that he's going to be a British citizen, he could have the accent for it and everything huh. be a Bond villain. That'd be cool. Uh, you know, he'll call us all blokes and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I can't see him staying. I think he's just smartly laying low for now. You know, no living Redskins team owner uh, has ever sold. You know, I, looking back, you know, George Preston Marshall's dead. Cook was dead. You can't live here in exile. You know, so I guess he has to leave town. But I, I think it's just everybody's quiet. On the other side of this equation, which I learned when I was covering the team sale in 99, you got to have a reporter who knows the money people, the banks, those kind, because they never cross paths with us. We'll never see them. They'll never talk to us. Not now. Maybe when things get crazier later, they will. So you're not, you know, it's not as easy to infiltrate this kind of thing. You have to wait a little longer. Rick, thank
2: you, buddy. Good info. Hi, right, guys. You. Appreciate you. Always love having Rick Snyder on our Beltway Blitz. Wizards got a 197 win last night. Played a lot of D. 38 points allowed in the second half. Only 17 in the fourth quarter. Let's get to them. And to talk about that huge Wizards win, we've got a guy coming off a career game, Anthony Gill, poured in just shy of 20 points in his most prolific outing without a couple centers. Danny and I were in studio yesterday saying, who's going to play center? We got our answer, huh? What a game for Anthony Gill, and he joins us right now. What'd you make of your perfor- performance last night?
0: Oh, man, I, I, it was one of those things where I had no idea that I was going to get in the game um, until you know I figured... Uh, 90 minutes on the clock. They told us KP and uh, Gafford weren't going to play, so I was like, okay, somebody's got to play that five outside of Taj. So um, I, I kind of figured my name would be the next guy up. So um, yeah, I thought it was a good game, and I'm just, I'm just more thankful that we won that game than anything.
3: Anthony, you mentioned not knowing who's going to get minutes. I, I cannot imagine how hard that is. This is the best league in the world, and, and all these players are so damn good, and, and you're part of that group. But inconsistent minutes to me would be something that it, it would just be such a challenge because when you do get them, it feels like I have to do something so special to earn more. And You know what I mean? Like, how do you approach that, and how do you stay ready?
0: Yeah, it's just really, it's, it's kind of like don't fall into that trap of, you know, I have to do more. Um, because it is tough to go out there. And, you know, I shoot. I, I didn't play in probably, I don't know, 10 games prior to that um, last night. And uh, to go out there last night, you just think in your head, like, oh, I have to do this. I have to play, you know, outside myself in order for us to be successful or in order for me to be successful. Um, but really, just, you just got to remind yourself, you know, you're here for a reason. Just go out there and, and do what you do um, and play as hard as you possibly can. And, you know, things will take care of themselves from there.
2: Anthony Gill of the Wizards on Grant and Danny's blitz. Kyle Kuzma has become the guy I want taking shots at the end of games. Man, really going back to last year when he takes a big shot, he hits it. What a step back last night. What'd you think,
0: man? That was an awesome shot, man. Kuz, it's so funny, man. Like people just watch these games and see Kuz making some crazy shots and just think, oh man, you know he, he can't hit these all the time, but. This guy works on that, you know, and that and that's why we don't hesitate, you know, when he takes those shots and we all stand up knowing it's going to go in, thinking that's going to go in because we know he works on it, you know, and he uh, he has a very unpredictable game. You know, if, if I was the guy on the other team trying to guard him, uh, you know, I would, I would be in for it that night because you never know what he's going to do. But um, in his head, you know, he's, he's worked on his game. He's really um, honed in on his skills and it's really paying off for us.
3: Anthony, you've been around a little bit, and not in real world terms, but in professional basketball terms. You know, you're one of the elder statesmen is a 30-year-old guy. Do you kind of take on that role as as mentor and, and advisor at times for some of these young kids that are you're getting acclimated not only to the association, but, you know, how to be grown-ups, how to be adults, how to, like, eat nutritious food away from the facility and, and stuff like that? Do you find yourself kind of taking that role on?
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think I'm, we're all learning from each other, you know. Some of the 20 year old guys that I'm on the court with, you know, I learned from those guys, you know, they have some knowledge that I, I, I haven't learned yet. And uh, I think we're learning both ways. Um, but for me, I've had a lot of life experiences. Um, I've been overseas playing basketball. And uh, now I'm back in America, uh, played high level college basketball. So I have a lot of, you know, basketball experience and, uh try to give as much as i can to the guys whenever the opportunity uh, presents itself Uh, but also i think like what you said more importantly it's about you know growing in life um i want to be here for the guys if they're going through a hard time like hey let's sit down talk about it like how can we get through this um you know what's some things that you got going on how can we alleviate some of those problems at home and um you know how can we focus on what really matters in life which is you know not so much the basketball aspect of it, you know. That's great that we play in the NBA and everything like that, but we got a whole life to live outside of that. So how can we really, you know, maximize you as a person?
2: Anthony Gill on Grant and Danny with us here on the Fan, a glue guy and one of the guys that's really important in that Wizards locker room. His role elevated and he stepped up to the plate last night. By the way, real quick, I just wanted to sneak this in. I mean, Deniavdia, think he's the center last night? Twenty rebounds? That was, was unbelievable.
0: That? Man, he really—he was on the boards last night, man. That was awesome. I think at one point, you know, uh, he looked over at uh, KP and I when he had 18 rebounds, and I could just see it on his face. He was so excited, man, and, and we were so happy for him, man. That, that's, uh, that's a big-time game from him, and, you know, he tries to always find ways to impact the game outside of scoring, and last night he was rebounding, and he did it at a high level.
3: Anthony, I got to sneak this in. You are my wife's favorite wizard because she went to University of Virginia just like you did. Do you have an eyeball towards what your boys are doing? I, I saw a couple of games early where they were on the road and and just played grown man basketball for Tony Bennett and company. That's a pretty decent squad you guys have this year.
0: Yeah, man, we're we're doing pretty good. Um, first off, shout out to your wife. I don't, I've never met her, but you know uh, <laughs> she has to be a wonderful person if she went to UVA. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, we. Um, we, we're, we're doing good things this year. I think Coach Bennett always puts every, uh, the, each team that he has in a great uh, situation to be successful. I think the system that he has allows for a competitive team every single year. And they have a good group of guys this year who want to win, and they're playing tough nose basketball. And, 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 you know, I'm loving it. You know, as a former alum uh, or as an alum of UVA, and uh, they're winning games right now, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they're going to do in March.
2: What's your favorite sub at that? What was it? Little John's, the little sub shop right there. I ate
3: so many pokey sticks when I visited.
0: Oh my goodness! Little Little John's was the there was the place to go when I was there, man. Now I, I'm sure, I haven't been back, you know, to Little John's. I don't even know if it still exists. Uh, but man, that was that was the place to be back in the day.
2: Well, we appreciate the time. Awesome game, big win for you guys while undermanned. It was impressive. It was gritty. Thanks for hopping aboard.
0: Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day.
2: Awesome to have Anthony Gill on with us here on Grant and Danny after a big Wizards win. Next, a lot of talk about Sam Howell as an option moving forward. What would the floor and the ceiling be for him, and what would a season of Sam Howell leading this team look like? We'll dive into that next on G and D here on The Fan.
1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Show is flying by so far. We had three caps in studio today. If you missed that conversation, we had fun. Nick Dowd, Nick Jensen. Martin Faravari, go back and podcast our first hour. TheFanDC.com when we're done. GrantAndDanny.com slash audio. I actually wanted to talk a little Sam Howell today. We didn't get to do that as much over the last couple days as we were hoping to with some big breaking news. But I wanted to pose this because I'm just trying to figure out where listeners are on this. I want to take your guys' temperature. I'm trying to decide how the fan base is going to come down on this offseason to get a feel for what lies ahead. If Sam Howe was given the season, I wonder what people would expect out of him. I wonder right now, because people are very reactionary, 11 for 19, I think he was. he was. He was. It was fine. I went back and watched the game. There were some things I really, 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 really liked that was more impressive when I went back and rewatched. and I'm talking about going and watching all 22. He made some really good decisions. Yes. Sir. Like, I'll be honest. I thought he was a lot better when I went back and rewatched the game last night. Then I thought he was even watching the game, frankly. And by the way, I went down a rabbit hole last night because there was no football on. Do you know what game I watched in its entirety last night while sitting in my basement? How could I know? Was it a Washington game? It was a Commander's game. Okay. They weren't called the Commanders. Okay, so they were. were they called
3: the Washington football
2: team? They weren't. They were called the Redskins?
3: They were. Okay. Was it in the 2000s? It was guy you Turner. watched you watched uh the packers redskins game where it was in prime time and it was a close game and then all of a sudden washington unleashed a huge offensive barrage and they won like 42-21 i, I should have
2: that was the, the cousins game yeah i did not i watched the season opener in 2012 in new orleans Oh man i sleep on how amazing that offense was that day and really for stretches that season because I look back on that year and I kind of view it as we overinflate some things and we misremember some things. But correct me if I'm wrong. And I, I covered that team every day, but I just some of this stuff gets lost years later. That was also Pierre Garcon's debut. Correct? He was signed the offseason yep. going into that game. Yep. Do you know that on the first drive of that game, on the first four plays, they threw it to Garcon three times on like basically smoke throws, little, little wide receiver screens. So Kyle's game plan was like bubble screen left, smoke screen right, smoke screen left. Like they were just making the Rams or the Saints run back and forth. And then the first play of the second drive was the eight after they went down the field. Awesome drive. By the way, Robert Griffin made a couple incredible throws.
3: People sleep on that catch, too, that Garcon had. He's sprinting across the field, has to reach behind him, and yeah. does this kind of Madden video game glitch pirouette and then still somehow is at top speed. Was crazy. He ran so fast he exploded his
2: foot. There was a play in the break. I'm going to come in there and, and find. we'll find it and I'll show it to you. Griffin made this play where he rolled all the way to his left and like planted at the sideline basically and then rolled back toward his right a little bit and stops and he like throws off balance to Fred Davis on the far side of the field, like basically breaking every rule that you're not supposed to do. Uh-huh. And it was just this perfectly placed dime. And Davis toe taps on the sideline for like a 20 yard gain. No wonder. I mean, you just yeah. go back and you watch that and you're like, oh my God. I'm telling and I you. I was do. in the dome that day. I was there, but mm-hmm. I, you just don't remember it like that. But anyway, I went back and I watched that whole game. It was crazy. If Sam Howell plays a season, what's the floor? What's the ceiling? Those are a couple of the questions I would have for people. And I guess maybe more accurately, like what do you think he would look like in this offense for a full year?
3: There would be ups and downs, probably more downs, honestly. And I'm, that's not a reflection of Sam. Howell. I'm we're talking about learning yet another system. Probably we're talking about uh, a, a, a paradigm of smash mouth, 3.8 yards per carry, run the ball, time of possession, two to one ratio, Martin, Martin Mayhew, Ron Rivera type stuff. So I don't know that you'd see pretty prolific passing. I mean, if it's me, I'd try to throw them into the frying pan. I'd say, let's see, can you do it like the big boys? Can you do it like the guys that are putting up the ridiculous fantasy numbers? I need to know. I need to know about all the different things. But they're not going to do that. They're going to try to say what's the best recipe for us to eke out enough wins to be the seven seed, right? And get boat in the first round. So to me, this is like a, you know, 175-yard-per-game game I think you could crack 20 touchdowns, probably double-digit interceptions, which sounds okay, but then you kind of look at what the rest of the league is doing, and then you go, yeah, you're part of that top of the third tier, bottom of the second tier quarterbacking. I think that would be the best you could hope for, reasonably from Sam Howell, who I like, by the way.
2: I think people hear me saying, I got no problem rolling with Howell next season, and they assume that I'm saying, I think Howell's going to be a stud, which is not really necessarily my point at all as much as I think there's a lot of reasons why it makes more sense for them not to go spend a bunch of money at quarterback and to investigate how. Number one, this feels lame-ducky from a coaching standpoint. And I think the worst thing that organizations allow is a coach who's coaching for his job to draft a quarterback. I would rule that out outright. I would tell this staff you're not drafting a guy you like because the next staff might not like that guy. And you could say, well, you're already basically saying that they're out. And I'm not doing that at all, but you've had time to draft and develop. That time is over. If you want to go get a veteran that I can get out of after a year or two, okay, fine, you can try that. But I think it's more prudent for them to spend that money elsewhere, build up other positions, because here's what happens. If Hal's good, that means the team is good. And possibly you have a answer even for the short term for a couple years. If he's bad, then you lose plenty of football games. And you're drafting in a more favorable position next year in what is supposed to be a pretty good quarterback class in 2024. So I think it's a win-win kind of. If he's good, awesome. Then everybody wins. If he's bad, fine. Then you have a new GM and a new head coach who are picking a new quarterback probably. It makes sense to me. I want to read his uh, draft profile real quick. The question for you guys at 800-636-1067 is, if they actually gave Sam Howell a chance next year, What would you expect from him? What is the upside and the downside for Howell as a player, do you think? This is what uh, Lance Zerline of NFL.com, their draft analyst, wrote before the draft. See what checks out just based on what we've seen in the preseason Mm -hmm. and one game. Stocky three-year starter who plays with admirable confidence despite inconsistencies in important areas as a passer. He attacks the field working from deep to short when he's allowed. Not a classic full-field reader at this point but has pocket poise and mobility to potentially develop in that area in the future. He muscles throws, hindering his accuracy on drive throws, has adequate arm strength and could expedite off-platform throws. Hal doesn't throw with nearly enough timing or ball placement, which forces wideouts into the boundaries or to break stride, limiting yards after catch potential. Like A lot of the critiques here are very normal things that can be improved upon.
3: Because I, I thought that first, I mean, listen, I'm not telling you that 11 completions really what should have been 13, tells the full story. But that was one of the things we noticed. Hey, that was good. Terry McLaurin scored a touchdown because you didn't have to break stride.
2: Normally, right? when you are when you look at a college quarterback and you say, this guy is inaccurate, that's a big problem. Yep, that's When the you red say, flag. this guy doesn't have an NFL arm, that can be a problem. This guy lacks athleticism. That's a huge problem. This guy's immobile, whatever it is. Like, those are massive red flags. There's none of that in this report for what it's worth. He flashed impressive dual threat talent in 21, which should work in his favor. 21 tape was bumpy, but his makeup is really good and improvement is likely with better pieces around him. We got some of those in D.C. Mm-hmm. Howell isn't wired for or suited for a ball control passing attack. That's interesting. Might need a vertical passing scheme capable of creating explosive plays in order to succeed. Now, Scott Turner's passing attack is viewed just because it's North Turner's scheme as having been pretty vertical. Uh, The weaknesses listed here, squatty frame, tightly bound limbs, ball pat and wind-up slow to release, touch and timing both need work, uh, falls off the throw unnecessarily. Like Some of this stuff is pretty coachable, I would say. mechanical. Gives safety a, a head start to make throws over the top. Again, you can clean that up. Deep balls come out late and flat, clean up. Placement issues make receivers work hard. I'll tell you what I loved when I went back and watched. Number one is decisiveness to run the ball. When he decided he was going to take off, it was not a, okay, here I go. Like, I'll get up to speed. It was just, boom. It boom. was sudden. It was quick. It was twitchy. And for a guy who's got Baker Mayfield's body, that was pretty crazy to see. I, I I talked about this already. I loved how he slid. I loved how he protected himself. But also, he read stuff really well, I thought. Like, he got through progressions fast to the point where, it went, and, and he did a great job with pockets that weren't clean. Mm-hmm. When there were guys around him, I thought he he handled it well. He moved, he he uh scrambled, he reset. It was a likable start. It wasn't great, like it wasn't something to to write a letter to anybody about. But if you're Ron Rivera, you had to sit down in your office after the game and go, "I screwed up." Don't you think? I yes. mean, you get back to your office and you sit down and you go, so he could do it after Damn, all. Damn, I wish I would have played this guy earlier. Indeed. You know, how could you not think that? Yeah, there
3: are a number of things that I thought were pretty advanced. Again, the throw that I keep pointing to, that a little bit more subtle, but he basically had to drop down three quarters almost sidearm to find a window to hit Jahan Dotson in stride. I haven't seen a quarterback do that here in some time. That's not something that is normal. You have to do those sorts of things in the NFL, especially if you're not 6'5", and he's not. And that was really, really encouraging to me. So, yeah, there's there's reason for optimism that something could be there,
2: for sure. What do you think is the upside and the downside to a Sam Howell season next year in this offense with this group, with the weapons that they've got, You know, maybe give or take a couple of pieces? That's the question. MGM National Harbor listener lines are open, 800-636-1067. Plus, we got a huge Lamar Jackson update for you that is going to help determine whether or not he's going to play this weekend. We'll get you that as soon as we return on the fan.
3: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: Grant and Danny on the fan, taking you to 6.30 this evening. On a Thursday with no football tonight, playoffs get started on Saturday. Just doesn't feel right when it's a Thursday and I'm going home and I'll have no football on my TV. But we're at that part of the sports calendar where it's it's not a bad time for sports. I'm not telling you it is, but it's a lot of like, I guess I'll watch this college basketball game, which is not my favorite. There's just a lot of weeknights if the Caps and the Wiz aren't playing. You can always find a good NBA game, but there's a lot of like... It's a lot more DePaul-Rutgers than you want. Wisconsin's right playing Indiana. I yeah. guess I'll watch some of this. That's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. It's not March. I'm not overly concerned or interested in that, but it's that time of the year, man. I just... I need. What if we did playoff games on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday? That's worse. Because now I don't have all day That's Sunday. a game
3: of night. That's a game of day. Because that's yeah. all you, all you have, right? Because it's six I'm games. I'm going to
2: change it. We got to fix. How about this? Go. How about you play the teams that didn't make the playoffs play for draft positioning for the next couple weeks? So like Washington gets to play the team closest to them and they can move up a pick, you know, if they win. Something like that.
3: Play hard for the guys that will replace you.
2: Exactly. <laughs> that type environment? I don't know. Who says no? Nobody. The players. <laughs> go, no, thanks. The Texans play the Bears again this week. For number for the number, for the number pick. one pick. And somehow Lovey Smith still ruins it for the Texans.
3: Because <laughs> you know, somehow, some way he'd come back and coach and win. I've always argued from the beginning that I would make my sports a little bit I'd borrow from the Vince McMahon school. I'd make my sports a little bit more entertainment. They're still gonna play the games. So we're not gonna fix anything. We're not gonna go uh um What's the the guy that fixed the games, the referee Tim Donaghy? We're not going to do that stuff.
2: Go full Donaghy.
3: Here's what we are going to do though. Grant, you're the number 1 seed. Pick your sport. Basketball, football, whatever. You're the number 1 seed. Who do you want to play? We we televise it. We go we have a meeting. Televise it. Grant with the first pick of opponent in this draft for this playoffs. You pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, my God. Wildly entertaining. Daris, the number two pick. You pick the New York Giants. Everybody goes crazy. The matchup draft. NBA, it should work in the NBA. It would work in Major League Baseball. It would be the most entertaining thing in the world and be a cool incentive for teams to finish at the top. I think it would be cool. I would watch the hell out of that. You told me that wouldn't be a bonanza. Best case, worst case.
2: You know, what, what would be the upside, the downside for Sam Howell as a player next year?
3: Downside. The, he runs too much or is over-relying on it. Maybe he gets hurt. I mean, sort of not, that notwithstanding, but it's just not there. Having to learn another system uh, in in a second year, uh, the offensive line may maybe not any much better and you know, certain things aren't available to him. Teams get taped. These really smart defensive coordinators figure out what he can't do. Listen, less than half the league for 20 touchdowns this year that's not a that's not a huge total right less than half the league did that so many guys missed games so many guys missed time so many guys weren't prolific enough uh when you look at the Andy Daltons of the world or you know people like Russell Wilson there's there's a lot of disappointment that went on this year now there are plenty of guys that were great and got those normal huge awesome incredible totals to expect Sam hell to ascend into that group I think is probably unfair.
2: I just I think he could become... like The, the good of next year would be, I'll, I'll use this a bunch, but Daniel Jones, where if you don't ask him to throw it 35, 40 times, which Brian Dable didn't, and you allow him to use his feet by design, occasionally via scrambles will break your back that way on a third down, but you you work into the running game his ability to keep the football, his ability on keepers by design to get outside the tackle box, and then you also pick your spots, throwing the football, and you put him in some good spots to work some short and intermediate stuff. You take your shots downfield. That's the one difference is I think he throws a beautiful deep ball and has the big arm. So so maybe you have some of that in your offense in addition to some slants and some quicker stuff. I think that could be the upside. The downside is he just looks like a fifth round pick who doesn't belong. And if that's the case, okay. Yeah, so what I, I just I really struggle to see where the like what the the disaster would be with going with him because maybe someone who really, really cares and thinks you got to win the Super Bowl, you got to make the playoffs or whatever next year, could say, "Well, what if it's really bad? Well, if it's really bad, that's fine too."
3: Yeah, for you and me, I think it's much easier to say if you're fighting for your job and your regime, they're not going to be willing to do that. Talking about Rivera
2: and company. Yeah, I'm not talking about them though. I know they got their own thing that uh, they got to worry about. It that's CYA territory. Uh huh. I'm talking about if, if you know if you're comparing hell to some of the other options. On a rookie deal as a fifth round pick who makes peanuts. If he's good, you win. If he if he's bad, You're in a by position. losing, finally, mm-hmm. this team can be in a position maybe to go get a quarterback. They had one opportunity, they didn't take it a few years ago. But otherwise, they really haven't had opportunities. I mean, I talk all the time about how consistently mediocre there are. Joe Gibbs, 2.0, 2127 was his record here 21 and 27. Mike Shanahan was 21 and 27. Jay Gruden was 21 26 and 1 and Ron Rivera's 22 27 and 1 in 3-year coaching records in Washington. John Kime tweeted this today. So in their first 3 years, Gibbs and Shanahan had identical records. Gruden and Rivera basically the exact same record the difference being that they had ties. It's Unreal. four coaches, it's the same exact damn result. And it's all middle of the pack, which just makes it really, really hard to get good. Uh, We'll take calls on this next at 800-636-1067 if you're waiting. want to talk Sam Howell with you guys. We also, next hour, have to start turning our attention to Lamar Jackson, who is not practicing today. Again, Danny, he's not going to
4: play. He's not going to
2: play. After weeks and weeks of the Ravens hoping he'd be back, and then kind of putting all their eggs in the he'll return in the playoffs basket. It looks like they're going to be without Lamar against the Ravens. Against the Bengals, rather, as the Ravens' season might come to an end. That is crazy. Grant and Danny on the fan.
6: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.